to the Vertical Go-To-Market podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful B2B SaaS and agency owners and executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Today, I'm joined by Terry Dry. Welcome, Terry. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> I'm excited that you're here as well. You have such a wealth of experience and knowledge when it comes to agency growth, business growth. I can't wait to have our conversation. I know our listeners are in for a treat today. Would you just introduce yourself for the listeners, for those of us who may not be familiar with your background? Sure. Yeah, I'm Terry Dry. I guess I would always say I'm like a serial entrepreneur and kind of a consumer engagement specialist. I Started my career in the music business. I then turned on to having my own agency. We were one of the first in social media marketing. Then from there, led a digital agency. Then from there, ran a SaaS business. Have had some successful exits. And now I'm spending most of my time advising mid-market and emerging companies. Now, essentially trying to provide what I wish I had had years ago with my agency. That's awesome. I want to hear more about the advisory work. But could you share with us some of the experiences you've had with a vertical approach to growing these businesses? Yeah, I'll start with the the vertical approach that we took in the very first agency I started, which was essentially an online marketing company. And this is about 20 years ago. And I this was my first entrepreneurial journey. So you have to figure I'm in my late 20s, which is the classic, right? You think you know everything, but the truth is you don't know anything. But you think you know stuff. I quit my cushy record business job, which was going great. And we started our own essentially online marketing agency specifically tied to music. So I would tell you, we weren't so smart to go, oh, we're taking a vertical B2B approach. We were just going, who's going to pay us to do what we do? Mm -hmm. And then we kind of figured out, oh, wait, this is our vertical, which our vertical was. We came out of the music business. We knew music. Music, this is like the year 2000, 2001, 2002, was you know, essentially one of the first industries to get totally upended by digital Blew up. and we yeah. yeah we knew we were in the right place at the right time and so we were like we are experts at what was then called online marketing mm. you know for music and our b2b focus was record labels are going to hire us to do the online marketing for their bands period and that was what it was and we were very fortunate that we just built and built to so one record label, another record label. And that was our B2B vertical approach. We were experts in music and we knew exactly who our clients were. And that was how we built for the first few years. And our happy accident was that then evolved into becoming a social media marketing agency, which we then grew and grew from there. Was that Fanscape? That was Fanscape. Yeah. That's awesome. And you ended up selling Fanscape to Omnicon? We sure did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we grew and then it diversified, right? So we talk about you have that vertical approach and that vertical approach got you somewhere. And I always use the phrase, what got you here won't get you there. Mm -hmm. So we kind of grew and grew to the point where then the record labels woke up and they're like, wow, what they're doing is pretty valuable. Now, now fast forward 2005, 2006, MySpace, we actually helped launch MySpace. That's how old and dated I am, Corey. Mm -hmm. But we, you know, all these things happen. And then if you're us, you're like, we better diversify. So then we looked at the vertical of entertainment. So we're like, not just music, let's do entertainment. Mm -hmm. And that's how we took our next sort of B2B vertical approach. And then it grew from there into corporate. And we kept pivoting and evolving and looking at what the verticals could be. And that's what helped us grow and grow and eventually um, have an, an exit to Omnicom as where they really needed a social media agency and we fit the bill. That's awesome. It, it was, it was yeah. good. My wife I, liked that. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> she was happy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> My dad was too. He thought it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the early days when sure. you were launching this agency. You were in the music industry and you co-founded this business. Was it yourself and a, a business partner? Yeah. Or, okay. Yes. So the yeah. two of you, was was your business partner also in the music industry? Yeah. Yeah. We worked together. We met at A&M Records when we, that was like both of our first job right out of college. And we kind of grew from there. What was the things that led up to you deciding to leave that career behind that great job and step into digital marketing? It's sort of the entrepreneurial story, right? It's it's a weird thing. What happened was I worked at a great famous record company called AM Records, and we had been sold to Universal Music Group and it was the late 90s and all of a sudden we hadn't had big hits in the last, you know, year or two. And the next thing you knew, they were folding AM records and Geffen records into Interscope records. And what happened was, I think there were roughly 200 people that worked at AM records, and that became 20. Hmm. And so there were massive layoffs. And what happened with me was, I was one of the 20 people. And I had this massive survivor's guilt of the fact that all my friends, all my mentors, everybody had gotten laid off. And I was now going to the new mothership, which was Interscope, Gep, and AM. I was starting a whole department. Everything was like going well for me in my career. But it really bothered me that some big corporate entity was in charge of my fate and that somebody could just go, hey, you, you no longer have a job here. And that's when I kind of learned, oh, I guess I'm sort of an entrepreneur at heart and I want to be in control of my own destiny. And that really shaped me. Meanwhile, Interscope, it was a great experience. It was awesome. They were great to me. But I always had this fuel in me of like, no, I want to own what I'm doing if I'm going to put so much into it. And one of, the, one of my mentors said to me at the time, he said, you're going to make a lot of money for somebody someday. You might as well do it for yourself. Hmm. And so that kind of shaped me. And, and I wasn't married yet. None of that had happened yet. So I was like, I'm going to try. If I don't try this now, I don't think I'll ever try it. So it was the ultimate side hustle. I was still had my job and we started this business. But what I will say to you, Corey, was we started by doing fan clubs and online merchandise. So it was 1999 and we were driving a lot of business, a lot of revenue through a dot-com in the music space. So if you remember back to 1999, that would be a very sexy thing. So all of a sudden we had venture capitalists and people interested in our company that I was doing as my side hustle that was literally just out of my business partner's garage, you know, like we weren't some like brilliant people um, or we weren't growing, but it was enough, you know, to get people. So I think that helped me because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I might be part of, you know, a dot-com millionaire kind of billionaire, whatever. So that helped me go, what the hell, I'll try. And uh, that's what he did. Then of course, right after I quit, everything crashed. Uh, yeah, the, the, the bubble I burst. The hard way. Uh, I, I was right there with you. <laughs> Did you end up taking venture capital at that time? Never did. In fact, there was an offer to buy our company. That was also what helped me quit. Because I was like, oh, worst case, we'll just sell to these guys. They were already offering a salary more than I was making. But we totally didn't get it. And the funny story was they wanted to merge us into a company that they had already um, bought or were funding. And I'll never forget. We're like, so what is the strategy for the company? And they did this whole thing. And they're like, yeah, it's going to grow. It's going to grow. And then uh, we'll go public. And he just knocked on wood, like literally we'll go public, knock on wood. And I was like, oh my God, 
I'm going to stake my career on that. And so we did wind up doing it. And that was a good decision, but it forced us to learn how to do it. What led to digital marketing as an agency? Like what was, why did that make sense? As you were stepping into this entrepreneurial world, you were doing e-commerce and then it evolved into digital marketing. So what was that like? Yeah, you know, it's funny, Corey, I wish I could tell you at that stage of my career that it was because I had this great education or I was an MBA and I was so smart. Nothing to do with that. It was purely, oh shit, how are we going to make payroll? And we were doing merchandise and I think we were sort of ignorant. We were seeing a lot of revenue come in, but we weren't making profit. And once we got kicked out of my business partner's house and had to get an office and do some other things, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, this costs money. And uh, and we weren't taking salaries. We were doing all that stuff. So then you sit there going, well, there's really not much we're doing here as far as merchandise. But what we were was we were really good marketers. We were great at what was called artist development. We were good at word of mouth marketing. And that was sort of our background in the music business. And we were building a ton of data. So we realized, oh, the money is not in the merch. And quite frankly, that's not our expertise. Our expertise is in the marketing in connecting fans and the artists they loved, back to what I was saying at the opening, consumer engagement, really, and fan engagement and activation. So we pivoted. But that pivot wasn't, you know, it was out of necessity of like, oh my God, like, we're going to go broke if we keep doing it this way. And the value we were underselling over here. So then that pivoted. And that's how we kind of fell into digital marketing, because we went back to record labels. And we're like, you know, we have these email lists. And you could sell a lot of, you know, it'd be a lot more efficient than running a newspaper ad, you know, or a radio spot, because we know who these people are, we know, and that's how it started to evolve. And then there were, as if you probably remember, remember like GeoCities and all oh, these, yeah. like, you know, that we started messing around with all those kind of communities and that, that world when it was, it was like the Wild West. And we were just figuring that out. And I would tell you, we fell into digital marketing because we were consumer engagement, word of mouth marketers. And so this was just, now that was an accelerant of how to do it. So we just embraced it. And uh, we were lucky. A few of our friends in the music business were like, you know, if you can just figure out how to do online marketing, I'll pay you a monthly retainer to do that for our artists. And a monthly retainer of like $3,000 a month back then was like, that was like a gift from the heavens, Corey. Mm -hmm. That was like a big deal. (laughs) So that's, that's what we were doing. That's what happened. So sorry, listeners. I'm not, I'm not that smart. I got smarter as I got older. I think that that is a very <laughs> common story that a lot of listeners can relate to is that they're, you know, they found an opportunity, they committed themselves, and then they continued to iterate until something started working at scale, which is beautiful. Totally. Yeah. Uh, the other point I want to call out here is that you had a personal relationship or a professional relationship with the music industry. And it wasn't like you went into medical device sales. You leveraged something that you knew, you had existing relationships, professional and personal that allowed you to kind of scale this up pretty quickly versus or choosing another industry that maybe you didn't have that same background in. 100%. Yeah, that, that was a huge, huge advantage for us. It was something that we knew, an area where we were trusted. And yeah, when, when you're looking at the vertical approach, you want to have some kind of credibility. And if you don't have it, you better find it. You know, And that's advice I give people now, or even in my own ventures, if it's an area where I don't know people, the first thing I do is go find those people and bring them in to help shore up what maybe we don't have. But you're totally right. The relationship, the trust, and a, and a vertical expertise. We certainly had that. No question about it. Going back to Fanscape, 
and the growth of your agency is you're building, you're building it based on in part relationships with the people you had in the music industry. One of the, the things that I talk a lot about with my clients and just in general with people who've done this sort of vertical go-to-market approach is that they say that the vertical that they focus in on has an insider language. Yeah, They speak a certain way and that way signals that either you're in the clan or you're out of the clan. And as a service provider targeting that vertical, how important is it for you to be able to speak that language? It's critical because you build credibility that way. But I would also say, be careful of training yourself on that language, but you're actually just full of shit, right? That you you got the dictionary, you got the lingo, but you don't really know it, right? You're, you're sort of a pretender. And we, I will tell you, as I grew my digital agency and then went on to lead a digital agency, we were in a bunch of verticals, right? So we had travel, we had entertainment, we had CPG, we had healthcare, and there's tons of different lingo there, right? So I can remember for travel, like learning heads and beds, right? That was a metric. Um, for the travel industry. and But yeah. what would make me nervous was if somebody just heard me say heads and beds and then they were, they didn't even know what they were talking about, right? right? And then you'd lose all the credibility. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or what where I'm getting at is somebody who worked for me, you know, and they would be in there mm-hmm. and they heard what I said and they maybe didn't take the time I had taken to try to learn what does this mean and, and be sincere about it when I was meeting with clients of like, Walk me through this. Educate me on this better. Like, let me spend a day at your office. Let us spend a day with you and and bring us up to speed. But that was never a good look, right? For an agency, you want to be there and you want to know the lingo and you've got to be there. So I guess my cautionary tale is it's one thing to know it. It's another thing or to know the words. It's another thing to really know what this means and what it is. And if you don't know it, find the people who do. That That's a big, you know, there's this saying of who, not how, right? Not how are you going to do it, but Who's going to do it? And you can go out there and recruit those people and bring them in to legitimize yourself if you're going that way. But in theory, if you're building a vertical you know, go-to-market approach, you damn well should know that industry. And you're right. You want to come it at it with some level of credibility and relationship. Completely. I think the point you're making is, is a, is an excellent one, which is the people who are on the inside, you may use their words, but they're still going to sniff you out and and you're, you're not going to be able to build the trust and credibility unless you have a genuine understanding of their world. Yeah. And how dare you go in there unless you have that, right? Mm. You should lose. You should lose the business if you don't know it. And you should be smart enough to say no and go, we don't know that, we're gonna get killed, or worst case, we're gonna get hired and then we're gonna suck. So why would you do that? Don't do that to yourself, don't do that to your team, and more importantly, don't do that to your client. And all of that stuff will repay you. But you know, <laughs> I'll, I remember this saying, Corey, which was when we got to be part of Omnicom, we did this thing where you go on a road show and, and this guy who took us on it, he was great, like an old school agency guy, and he used to say, the problem with Omnicom agencies is if their client asked them, hey, do you pave driveways? They would go, oh, yeah, 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 we, we do that too. Like they'd say yes to anything. And the true discipline was what are you going to say no to? Like what, when do you really know your lane and when do you have sort of the guts to just go, I'm going to narrowly focus and I'm going to be the very best at this. Like back to Fanscape, we're like we are going to be the number one very best music marketing agency online period. We're going to just be better than everyone else. We're going to figure that out. 
And then we kind of tried to move and try and take that attitude towards something. So you would learn it, but yeah, it's, you, you better be in there. I, I think it's a really good point you're bringing up. Did you experience this in your, I mean, you've been in this agency mm-hmm. world. Is this the yeah. same thing that you found? So the business that I stepped into at Scorpion, my last company right. as a chief marketing officer, they had built the business around attorneys and had built a wonderful business doing 20 million in revenue, great profit margins, great customer retention, over 90% customer retention, which is unheard of in the business, in the SMB space, like really, really great uh, business. And the CEO really wanted to grow much bigger than just attorneys. And so what we did is instead of going from attorneys to everybody, we moved into a, a, a separate vertical in home services. These are businesses who do sort of residential plumbing and roofing and electricians and those type of things. Well, the plumber and the personal injury attorney are completely different buyers. And the way that we approached it is we built a separate business unit at Scorpion. It wasn't the people who were, who were working with the attorneys are now working with the plumbers. No, we hired a separate sales team who had a background in home services. Some of them were previously owners of home service businesses and all the way through to client success were focused hundred percent on home services and the short answer is you just have to immerse yourself in their world and you have to really care about them. And over time, you begin to understand them at a very deep level. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just saying, if you don't do that, like, how dare you, right? right? And you'll eventually get found out and fired. The other benefit of being verticalized or being focused on a specific type of buyer or industry is that, and this was our experience at Scorpion, I wonder if it was the same for you, is when it came to digital marketing for the attorney, they really didn't care for it. They didn't understand it. They needed a good trusted partner who could help them with that. But because we were specializing in their world, we began to understand the aspects of their business that surrounded digital marketing. For instance, we were sending them leads, um, people who were looking for an attorney. And it turns out if we would send them a lead from Google, from their website or whatever, but if they didn't answer the phone in the right way or didn't answer the phone quickly or they didn't have a good intake process, well, then they would lose that lead, which would yep. make effectively our service not very valuable to them. And so we ended up, because we understood marketing for attorneys specifically and then plumbers and so on and so forth, that we we extended the scope of what we did into not just the lead, but then what happened when they got the lead and how do they nurture that lead and how do they, how do they actually grow their business without charging more? So the value of our service went up without having to be a vendor sort of, you know, uh, arm's length partner. It was much more of a, of an advisor role. Yeah. And that's the ultimate, like for those who run agencies who might be listening to this, the ultimate is when you can pivot from being, thought of as a vendor to being thought of as a partner. Mm. And that is the ultimate, at least I found transition to be, you know, a real business solutions partner rather than just some agency vendor. It changes the dynamic of the relationship. It should change the way your team treats the business and the client, but more importantly, it becomes a collaboration versus just some kind of execution. So, so important. When you were building the business, was the business mostly built on inbound leads or did you go outbound to other companies, other record labels, yeah. or how did you guys grow the business? Um, I've been really fortunate in pretty much every business we've done, or I've done entrepreneurially, To it's been based on referral and uh, no sort of cold calling, no outbound campaign or anything like that. It w- I would tell you it was referral and lots and lots of sort of Marcom. You know, I love this saying from somebody you and I both know, Corey, 
which is good things are attracted, not pursued from mm. our friend Don Riddell, who mm. gave me that one. And that's kind of how we kind of do it, which is, you know, you put it out there, you do great work and usually great things kind of come your way. And I always felt that if we just did great work, then good things would happen. So that was how we built it. You know, now, did we make sure we were networking well? Did we make sure we were meeting so-and-so? Yeah. But what you'll find, at least certainly we found there, and I find in every business is people move around every 18 months, you know, so it usually opens new doors at new places. And certainly the music business at the time was relatively like its own fraternity. So when people left one record label, they'd go to another record label. And that was always really helpful. Or we worked with a band or a manager who had artists at other labels and they would tell the label to hire us. And so it always went that way. It was all referral based. Do you think that you would have had the same level of referrals or word of mouth if you were focused on many verticals versus just one? No, it became harder when you're launching. It's like, you got to do that. You also want to build that muscle memory and build that confidence and swagger a little bit for your own company. You know, it may sound crazy, but so much of business growth is the psychology of the leader. And people bypass that or people forget that, right? When, when, when you're doing it, this is something I really try to unpack when we're advising companies was I really try to, we get to know the leadership and the ownership and understand who they are and what their goals are, but also what's making them tick. And they can either have self-limiting beliefs or we're just going to go for it. And in our particular case, when we were, as I was giving you the story of the vertical building, it was like necessity. It was like, oh my God, like, I don't know how to pay the rent on this building. I better go, you know, be gutsy. Yeah. Right. Like I, I you and burned then, the ships, right. You were, yeah, you were so there. We did. We didn't mean to burn the, we're so dumb. We didn't even intentionally burn the ships. We just, the ships burned. <laughs> and uh, so it was just, it was real, you know, and that was part of it. But, but you no, know, I'm a big believer in, in, sort of state your claim, stake your claim, say who you are, put it out there, and hopefully good things happen. But more important than any of it, do a good job, provide value, do great work. You were just talking about your example at Scorpion, like you added value. And that usually goes a long way. And people will refer you. We've been talking a lot about about the positive aspects of verticalizing. What, if any, thinking back through the businesses that you've started and ran and and advised, are there any negatives to, to verticalizing a business? Yeah, there definitely are. I mean, there's the negative could be, what if you're in a vertical that's dying, right? Or what if you're in a vertical that's ridiculously competitive and you can pivot into something else and use that expertise and move it along. So there's absolutely times when if you've got the blinders on and you're too blind and you're not looking ahead, which is actually why we call our company Future Proof Advisors, because the whole idea is the world is changing and everything is changing faster than ever and the speed of change. And I guess I'm full of phrases today, Corey, but one of my favorites is change is inevitable, struggle is optional. So you sit there and go, this change is coming. Um, what's out there in the horizon so that you can keep staying ahead of it? And if you're too vertically focused, you might miss the fact that, uh, let me use my record, but why was it easy for me to quit Interscope Records? We were suing Napster. How stupid is this? The consumer base had said, we want to consume music digitally. And you guys all are still trying to force us to buy a CD. So we're going to just download it for free. No one was saying, if you charged us, we won't pay for it. They just weren't adhering to and listening to their customer. 
So here's a business that had the blinders on. It was basically like, screw you. You're going to buy music the way we tell you to buy it. And you just mentioned him earlier. It took Steve Jobs, somebody from totally outside of it, to come in there and monetize the business. The first one to really monetize digital. And that was just dumb. Reminds me of Netflix versus Blockbuster. Exactly. Exactly. And so you're so narrow, you're so in your thing and you're so, and then what happens is I always say there's two things that happen. Delusion meets denial. Hmm. And these are really scary things, right? You start to just like, you start to, you know, drink your own Kool-Aid and then, and then you're like, oh no, there are threats, but I'm going to ignore that threat and just hope it doesn't, hope it passes or hope it goes away. And it's not going away. And it maybe it takes, you know, three years longer than you think. And the danger of a lot of these companies is whoever's at the helm knows they're not going to be there in three years. So they don't care. Right. Um, and that's a big danger of it. But yes, I guess this is a long way of saying totally you could, it could be negative if you're so, so focused on the vertical. And I'm a perfect example. We use the music vertical to build the muscle and the credibility of social media marketing. And then we were smart enough to pivot and use, okay, now our expertise, our expertise was music. Then our expertise became social media marketing. And then we were able to pivot into other places. And that was a very, very, very useful, helpful thing. And quite frankly, the company wouldn't have grown. I don't even know if the company were to survive had we stayed in music. Mm. Um, We had to keep evolving and pivoting. And to me, that's what's fun in business. But there are others that freak out. Um, over change. And that's where we try and come in and help them, which is like, let's future proof you because whether you like it or not, your industry or your vertical or whatever it is might be threatened. And let's make sure that you're, you're positioned for success in the future. Because we're on the topic, what do you think is one of the most disruptive technologies or innovations that is emerging right now that businesses need to care about? Well, the greatest thing is just taken off lately, which is chat GPT mm. and AI. And this has been brewing for years, but it finally hit that tipping point where they've put something out there that's so easy to use, so mainstream, and you've got people like Ryan Reynolds, you know, doing his commercial with it, and it starts to become part of the the society, right? It just right, starts it becomes to a verb, and, you know. Right, exactly, exactly, <laughs> and I think it's the most exciting yeah. thing in the world, and it's been one of those where if, if you're me, you're like waiting for it, like mm-hmm. when is everybody going to wake up to the power of what this is? and what it can do and how applicable it is across any industry. It's, it's remarkable. And what's scary is people try to defeat it. People try to ignore it. People are scared of it rather than embracing it. Um, so for instance, with my business, um, we're advising people. My whole vision has been for years. I'm going to have all these experts in, right? All these advisors, the best marketer, the best M&A person, the best lawyer, the, they're going to be there. And then I'm also going to have this AI engine sitting right with us. So let's say there's 10 chairs. Now there's an 11th chair for IBM Watson or this computer to sit there. And it's going to help feed us information to make better decisions. So that's how it can be applicable to my advisory business. But then like the businesses you and I both were in of social media, these things can just, they can create the content for you, right? So it's just becoming so much more commoditized. So what I would say to anybody is don't be scared of it, embrace it, learn it, learn what it can do and how it can help you. And it doesn't mean it's replacing everybody or replacing everything. It is something that can make you better and make your company more efficient. And that's a huge thing for anyone leading a business. So 
Two more questions as we wrap up here. The first one is, what would you say to someone maybe who has an agency, maybe doing about a million dollars a year, maybe has been stuck a little bit, maybe they've said yes to too many different types of customers, or maybe they're just thinking about verticalizing their business. What advice would you have to them in this moment? The first piece of advice is, what's your North Star? What's your goal? And not just for your business, for you. Start with you. If you're the one leading the business, what do you care about? And it's fascinating, Corey, because you know a lot of people think, oh, they just want money. They just want... That's not necessarily the case. And typically, people who go on the entrepreneurial journey, they're like, I'm going to set up a business to support the lifestyle I want. And then they quickly become a slave to the business they just set up, right? And that's just sort of this weird paradox that happens. And so I would say, start with where do you want this thing to be in three years? in five years? And where do you want to be as a human being? You know, And what what is important to you in your life? And then how can this vehicle, this business support you? So I would start there. Then when you get a little bit more tactical, it's what is, you know, do the kind of classic SWOT analysis, right? What is out there in this, in my vertical, in my industry, where's the opportunity? Where can I add the most value and can, can my company be the most helpful to others? Not where can I make the most money? Where can, you know, I can get charged the most for my service. Screw that. Where can I bring the most value to my clients, to whoever's coming? How can I be of help? How can I be of service? How can this vehicle, where is our best ability to help? And then the money will follow. Um, so I would start there too. And, and what are we good at? And what do we suck at? And that's really hard. And then when you identify the what you suck at, we always call it the go, no go, right? You literally create a scorecard and you define, what am I going to say no to today? Because what does saying no make possible for what's right in my business? And so that's maybe several things I do, mm -hmm. but I wanted to just give the sort of the macro and micro. I love all that. And it reminds me of a quote. I'm not sure if it's Joe Polish or someone who says it, money follows value. That's right. Start with the value. Yeah. Last question, Terry, what's your motivation? I love two things. I love building things and I love helping people. And so I got to this place, Corey, where I was very fortunate. I had success in my career. And now it's like, I'm really excited to kind of help others be successful. And I also want to use technology to like, help people live better lives, you know? And so that's where I've been. So my motivation is I, I said, I help, help people and I build things like with future proof advisors and what I'm doing, I'm building something that helps people, you know, and that's, what's really fun for me. I've got this advisory business that helps other companies um, have shortcuts, overcome things, get the outcomes they want. And it's essentially I've created this thing that I wish I had 15 years ago when I had my agency fanscape and what we were trying to do because I would have gotten further faster. And more importantly, my quality of life would have been so much better. There would have been less stress because I would have surrounded myself. I always call it like with the superheroes. Like I jokingly say, it's like the justice league of America. Right. And I'd have those people that help me. And that's my motivation is helping others get what they want out of their career, but more importantly, out of their life and out of their business. And that's, I wake up each day like I, it's a privilege to be able to help some of these great companies that that we help. It's fun. What a gift. Thank you so much, Terry. <laughs> You've been uh, very helpful to me in this episode. My listeners, I'm sure I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So thank you thanks, so much Corey. for joining. No, thanks so much for having me. I hope it's helpful and useful for people. 
Thank you. It, it has been. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market podcast. And if you received value from the show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon.